Welcome to Centerpoint, a podcast series from Center College, where important conversations take place. This newest addition to the series includes oral history interviews with World War II veterans conducted by Assistant Professor of History Sarah Eggie and her students at Center College. Each interview is divided into three parts and introduced by Dr. Eggie. Join us now for part two of episode one, which features Alvin Houston Perry, who spent time in a Nazi POW camp. He is interviewed by Tori Parker. It is a privilege to share stories of World War II veterans on the Centerpoint podcast. This interview is with Alvin Houston Perry. We've divided Mr. Perry's interview into three episodes, and I encourage you to listen to all three to understand the powerful testimony he gave about World War II. In episode two, Mr. Perry begins in the middle of intense fighting in France. He's outnumbered and his men are forced to surrender to the Nazis. It is then that Mr. Perry revealed that for 10 months he was a Nazi prisoner of war. He faced desperate conditions, riding in cold and bare boxcars and working for the Nazis, digging in the frozen ground. It is powerful testimony to the horrors of war. And by the way, Mr. Perry is barely 20 years old. General Macon, our general, and he uh, talked to us before we went up front this last time. And he said, they're just gonna take a, we're just gonna need to take a little causeway and uh, we'll fight, we'll open up early in the morning and we'll just do that in a day and we'll have a hot breakfast the next morning. Well, he didn't know exactly what he was talking about because we was fighting tanks with rifles and you can't do that. That's, that's, that's a bad thing. And <clears throat> we just had one anti-tank gun and it was on the end of the hedgerow. We was in the hedgerows and they had tanks. We didn't have any. They had a little river and they couldn't get them across. They blowed the bridge and couldn't get the tanks up to us. So we fought all day hard and after they knocked our tank out and a tank gun out, we attempted to withdraw because we was afraid they'd drive our tanks down the end of that hydro and just knock us all out. So we was led by a lieutenant colonel. He was leading the withdrawal, and we were supposed to go back one hedgerow and set up again, but we went back two hedgerows. <laughs> we couldn't get a, he, he, he couldn't get a stop. And uh, I told the platoon sergeant that I could see the Germans running by us on the right and and he said uh, for me to take care of my front not to worry about them at k company was over there but short time they was firing at us from over there so 
In a short time, we were surrounded. We were firing, firing at us from all angles. And I was hit in the shoulder with a bullet. It came in the back of my shoulder and went all the way through. And, uh, oh, it hurt. And I went to the the guy that does the bandaging up and everything. What, what, what is it? The medic? The guy that... Uh, first aid person. Mm -hmm. I went by him and <laughs> asked him if he could bandage up my shoulder and he said, no. He was hitting both legs. He says, I can't do it. So I couldn't get it done. And we were finally, our Lieutenant Colonel was leading us and he was taking us out a path there onto a bigger road, country road. And we were right out in the face of the Germans, right in Smackdale. And he said, you'll have to drop your arms and put your hands up. So the Lieutenant Colonel told us that, so that's what we did. And we knew we were going to have to do that anyway, but he gave the command, and we and we were prisoners. And we, he wouldn't let them put any artillery on a little country house up there. He wanted that for his headquarters from then on, and that's where the Germans were. So that's where. We're, where we went and they got us all together there. And they were, the Germans were tickled to death to capture an officer. So uh, he showed them his, his rank under his collar and they were thrilled to death. But we went up and sat in that little headquarters for a short time till almost it wasn't dark but late in the afternoon and then we started walking they started we started walking and with the Germans where they wanted us to and we walked might near to all half of the night probably like to didn't never get to where we was going Finally, we got to a, a little barn, a small barn, and there was a a, a German person there, and Amer American that had been captured was with him, and he spoke. He done the transferring of the English Channel for us, so all the ones that was wounded slept on the bottom floor is the dirt floor but it was the bottom and the one that wasn't went up the ladder and slept in the loft so I dropped down there and I was so tired and wore out and everything and I went right to sleep I went to sleep immediately never had anything done to my wound and next morning we woke up 
that guy that was there tra transferring the English, he asked me if I, he wanted me to, if he wanted to, if I wanted him to help me get up. And I said, no, I can get up. And I attempted to, but I couldn't. I couldn't move a finger on this hand, or that's where my wound was. I could not move a finger. And I said, well, I'm going, I might lose my arm. And a guy <laughs> was there said, you might lose more than that. <laughs> so they arranged for to go in a little old truck to a field hospital, and the German Germans operated on my shoulder and bandaged it up and fixed it and helped me a lot. Give me a blood transfusion. You wouldn't think they'd do that, but they did. And uh, we was out in tents, in a big tent, and we had black packing straw as a, on, on the ground. That's what we was on. And uh, I was scared to death. The Germans was going in, oh, they were staying in that tent too. And I, I thought they'd, I, I was probably the reason they was uh, being wounded, and the Americans was. And I was scared to death they'd see me and maybe jump on me, but they didn't. And that morning, the next morning, they come around with some cereal for breakfast. And I was afraid to eat anything. I didn't want nothing to eat. And the guy that had it says, you need to eat. Says, you better eat a little of this. Says, you need to eat bad. And I hadn't eaten for a day. And so I finally decided to. And it was the best cereal I ever eat. It was good. <laughs> So what happened after, how did you, you were captured by the Germans? How long, you were captured by the Germans? How long were you there? I was a prisoner for 10 months. But uh, we, when we left there, we went to a lot back of Wren's Hospital. And from there, we went to Germany, uh, 12A Stalag, and it took us 16 days and nights on the train. Uh, they was uh, tearing up the tracks and the bridges and everything, and we, we might go all day on that train, and then we might back up all night over the same route. So it took us 16 days and nights, and we were straight two or three times by our American people, American planes. They thought they was uh, moving their own troops. And we were, oh, that is, that is terrible. We were locked in them boxcars. And we were traveling in boxcars. We didn't have any, uh, any comfortable cars. And... We had two guys in our car, 
were, all they was thinking about was escaping, getting away. And um, they noticed that they, when they let us out for a latrine, that they had didn't, didn't lock our car, car door. They didn't fasten the car door. And he said, as soon as these planes start peeling off, it was three of them, I'm going to jerk this door open and we can get out. So he did that. He started peeling off. And he jerked that door open and we got out, which we wasn't supposed to do. We weren't supposed to be out. And he and another guy tried to get away. They were running down in the country somewhere there, and they, they caught them. And they brought them back up to where the train was, and they shot them. They killed them, and them too. And uh, we wasn't supposed to be out of the car, so we didn't know what they'd do. One one old guard said, if you help me, I said, I'll do whatever I can. See, he was hit with a bullet, and he said, if you all help me, I'll try to help you. I don't know whether I can or not. So we helped him do whatever he wanted to do, and they, they didn't shoot anymore, it's them too. And they put us back in them car and locked us in. So didn't nobody want to be locked up again, but they was. And they, we finally told them, that, uh, convinced them that we wouldn't try to get away. And they let us bed down on a, a hillside there outside. But about dark, they changed their mind. <laughs> we had to go back to the cars, and they locked us in them cars. The planes come back the next day, like everybody knew they would, and they strafed us again. And uh, then the engine was broke down, and we we couldn't move from where we were. So we had to walk to another station and get on another train that could go to where we was going. So we went to 12A and we were there for a while, uh, about a week. And that's where we got the first Red Cross part food parcels. We got some a food parcel we twelve pounds and had a lot of good things in it. It was shipped from Geneva, Switzerland, and uh, it was on the sidetrack there, twelve A, and that's where we got our first one. We had to carry them on a smart piece, and there was four in a in a carton, and that's about fifty pounds. So. I just had one arm, but I carried one of them. A lot of them, they asked everybody for volunteers to carry the parcels from a train, from the sidetrack to their to the headquarters. And you know, lots of them, they wouldn't help. Said, hell no, we ain't carrying them, you carry them yourself. So they, they didn't, they wouldn't carry them. 
They said they wasn't supposed to, and they didn't. But uh, I was hungry as a dog, so I helped carry them. I wanted to carry them and get them open. So we did, and we enjoyed them. And we went from there to Seminary, which was at Mooseburg, and about 35 miles from Munich. And uh, that's where we stayed the rest of our time. I was a private in the Army, so I had to work. I didn't have no choice. If I had been a non-commissioned officer or an officer, uh, I, I wouldn't have had to work, but I did have to work. And uh, I thought that was a bad thing, but it was a good thing. It passed the time a lot better than sitting at the cell egg. And uh, the officers would have loved to have worked, but they wouldn't let them out for nothing. They, they kept them tight. And I, I worked on the farm and uh, in Munich, in Munich a lot, digging out frozen water pipes and things like that. I worked on the railroad a lot. The railroad was being hit daily with bombs and it needed a lot of work. But I stayed stayed healthy. I worked all the clothes I had or any of the prisoners was what they had on. And uh, we worked every day and slept in their clothes whether they were wet or dry or whatever. And I went 10 months and I never had a sick day, not one. And I was really proud of that because you didn't want to get sick in there much because it is tough going. They didn't have much doctor. So I was, the last two, last two weeks, I lived in uh, Munich. The, the transportation got so ragged that they decided not to do it. And uh, we lived in, in Munich uh, in boxcars on the sidetrack for about two weeks. That's where we were liberated. That big tank came through and we knew that it had that big star on the side. I was tickled to death. And that was the end of the, my prisoner. So what was daily life like as a prisoner of war? Well, somebody was behind you with a gun all the time. And uh, I, I had to work wherever and whatever they said do. And uh, it wasn't much fun. And uh, they, were, they weren't too tough, except you had to do what they said do. Because as they said, you are the prisoner, we're not. So some of the guys objected to things they had to do. And they, they, that's what they said. Uh, it could have been worse. The weather was terrible. It was cold. Boy, it was cold. And we didn't have no gloves much. And, and working in Munich, digging uh, frozen pipes out and everything, 
the ground was as hard as concrete because it was so cold it was froze and all our hands got cold trying to do it. And they knew we couldn't dig in that frozen ground much. We couldn't do much. But we did what we could and the uh, every time they'd come by to see how much we had done, they could see we hadn't done much. We couldn't do much. And the officer would say, and he'd tell us what to do every time he'd come by, and we'd say, y'all, y'all. And the last time he'd come by, he said, Americanish always, y'all, 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 y'all. And that's all he'd say. <laughs> the Americanish had a hard time. But when they that tank went through and they liberated us, an officer came. Our, our uh, guards had already left. We didn't have any guards. And they had, they knew they was coming and they left. And he told us to stay there about an hour or two and he was going to open up some apartments for us. And so he did. And we had a... We were in an apartment there for several days before we went back to the headquarters. And then we came home. <laughs>